And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Tech trends. Yeah, there's a whole lot of them. But we're going to talk about tech trends and real estate investments today. We've actually covered quite a few topics uh, in 2021 that were related to real estate. We did a whole series, and thank you to Lending Standard and Eric Perkins of the Perkins Brothers that gave us some strong support with that. But today, I want to talk about the tech that drives it. This is a hot space, and I've got an amazing guest today. With me today, I've got Liza Benson, and she is a partner at Modern Ventures, and that's modern with an E at the end. You can find a link in the show notes to go to modernventures.com. I will save an explanation for what they do uh, in just a moment. First, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. As mentioned, with me today, Liza Benson, partner at Modern Ventures. Liza, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. Really excited to be here and, and get going. Yeah, and, and well, with that, let's let's kick things off with you giving us a little bit about your backstory. Sure. Well, I, first, I want to tell you a little bit about Modern Ventures, then I'll go into sort of my career history. So, um, we're an early stage venture fund focused on the real estate, home services, fintech, and insure tech industries. Um, when we think about real estate, we think about multifamily, we think about commercial, we think about SFR, single family rental and residential. Um, everything that we do at Modern needs to have a strategic bent. About half of our limited partners are actually uh, native and strategic to the real estate industry. That's everyone from Avalon Bay, Camden Properties, Graystar, the largest multifamily operator in the U.S., Realogy, one of the largest brokerage, public brokerages in the U.S., Essent, mortgage insurance. These are all LPs of ours. And fundamentally, they've invested in modern ventures, not just for the venture returns, but um, to, get, to get insight and innovation um, to help their businesses move forward. So it's very important that every company that we invest in um, fits into the idea of a channel, a partnership, a pilot, something with our, our larger LP and advisor base. Um, so we're, we're a bit different from a typical venture firm in that sense. Uh, we actually just uh, closed, uh, which was announced this summer, our $200 million second institutional fund. Uh, this is a significant uptick from our last fund, which is about $43 million. So this was kind of our, our real, our, our real uh, debut in terms of our, real, uh, of our fund. Um, in terms of my background, um, I'm probably about 23 years of venture and growth equity experience. Um, was at two prior... Prior to Modern, which I joined about four years ago, um, I was with um, two different firms for, for the entirety of my career, essentially. And, um, you know, at Modern, my main uh, job function is, is finding new deals, due diligence in them, executing 
on those deals, sitting on boards and helping them grow. So when we talk about just say real estate tech, that's a pretty, that, as you mentioned, that's a pretty broad yeah. range of stuff. And, you know, you've seen this massive transformation for companies that didn't even exist like Airbnb to becoming the biggest hotelier out right. there. And, and this whole landscape has changed. And I think it's, it's very much for the betterment of the community because there was a lot of disruption that needed to occur. Now, now that we're, I don't know when Airbnb came out and so 10, 15 years ago or something like that. And it's obviously a, it's a, it's a brand name now. What, what is, what are the things that are now trending and moving at a higher velocity that aren't that? Well, I mean, I think if you even look at something, you know, which obviously was the news a lot last year, like we work, right? So what was the innovation that we work did, right? People don't want in commercial leases, long-term contracts where they have to build out the space themselves that have limited amenities you know they want they want their commercial space like they want everything else on their phone right they don't want to have to have these long-term commitments they want to make it easy right and you know fundamentally you could talk about WeWork's business model and some of the issues obviously that they had there um, but fundamentally that innovation of commercial space in a more consumerized way is fundamentally something you know going forward um, is even becoming more prevalent with the hybrid work that's go that's coming about, right? So people are realizing they're not going to have their employees in the office five days a week. And why do they need as much space as they had before? So, you know, using co-working, whether it's, you know, a WeWork or, you know, there's now tons of obviously other brands out there makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of problems inherent with that as well, which is how do you figure out which people should be in the office together each day, right? There's all these different issues that you need to, th to figure out um, that, you know, is a trend that we're certainly looking at and you can call it kind of the future of work, which is how do you figure out this new hybrid work style and to be as productive as you were before while keeping your employees happy who often are demanding, you know, some work from home days. Right. Right. And, you know, that's, that's been a, a real hot topic. You kind of answered what was going to be my next question, <laughs> which was how, how the pandemic has, it's changed real estate for sure. Well, um, I mean, that's one topic, yeah. but, the, but there's sort yeah. of many more, I would say. I mean, we really saw the pandemic uh, as an accelerant. I mean, obviously at the beginning, I don't think anyone really knew uh, what was going to happen. I'll give you an example. I mean, a lot of our companies that serve the residential real estate uh, arena, initially we were very concerned given that you couldn't show a house, you couldn't do any of these things, that there was going to be a, you know, uh, housing uh, crisis, right? Well, it ha everything happened exactly differently than we thought in terms of that, right? I mean, we've never seen home sales, uh, uh, you know, appreciate so much in price in such a short period of time, right? So, you know, that, that happened and we actually had a company called HomeSnap acquired during that period of time for a very nice price, um, you know, because of this acceleration in residential real estate. Um, the other trends that we've seen sort of in the multifamily space, and when I say multifamily, that is rental buildings. So, uh, a lot of the rental buildings in the U.S. are owned by large public REITs like, you know, Avalon and Camden. Um, and the changes that happened, there were pretty fundamental as well. Uh, you know, everyone has really embraced doing as much things without with less people uh, as, as sort of a, you know, as, as a directive at this point. Um, if you can do leasing virtually, if you can have self-guided tours, um, if you can have less maintenance staff on hand because there's an app-based way to report problems. Um, all of these things are being 
are being, uh, I would say, adopted more rapidly than we've ever seen, you know, due to the what happened in the pandemic, but having people around was simply dangerous. Yeah, and I think one I think one of the things that seems to be adopted on a much larger scale is the idea of time arbitrage, which is basically what you just described with a lot of the prop tech that comes out and you know, was I I never really realized I'm not in the real estate business, but I never had really realized that when I say time arbitrage, like how do you get time back and how do you make things more efficient? And it was actually a former guest was explaining that most of the time when a property manager has to send someone to fix whatever, wherever, that person spends 60% of their time finding keys and putting keys back. And you look at what you're paying for, you know, and these are all, I mean, saving money is making money. You got to sell more, spend less, all of it. And I think that there's a, a level of adoption that is, is coming. I see it's so many emerging property tech companies in general, and it seems like their total addressable markets pretty massive. So is there room for a ton of prop tech companies out there or is it likely to see a whale come and swallow everyone up? I mean, I think, you know, obviously there's been a lot of press around prop tech and real estate tech, but really of the VC dollars out there, which by the way is record numbers this year in terms of the numbers of dollars invested and the number of dollars invested in funds, only about 3% today goes to real estate tech or prop tech. Um, and real estate is 20% of the U.S. GDP, right? So although we're seeing a lot of noise around it, I think we're really in the early innings of the prop tech, real estate tech revolution. So one of the things, and I, I won't put you on the spot to answer this, but I mentioned when it comes to like general disruption, I still wonder like why I, if I want to sell my house, why I have to pay 6% to a realtor that is invariably not doing the same thing they did 20 years ago for some of that. And I, I've been waiting for something to come along to disrupt that. I'm, I'm really honestly shocked that that hasn't become something that's been so addressed because, you know, you look at, at the automation, the marketplace tools, like I usually, last time I bought a house, which has been a while, I told the realtor all the places I wanted to look at, not the other way around. So for those of you that are looking for something to disrupt, go ahead and get started on that. Now, for some of the things when it comes to emerging tech and, and real estate, um, I mean, I've got a, a pretty lengthy list of things that our production team put together. It's everything from social media platforms, data analytics. Here's one that I had never heard of, TRIM, T-R-I-M-M, turnovers, renovations, inspections, mm -hmm. and maintenance management. Yeah. Um, those sound like different things. Well, me, uh, one of the biggest trends you're seeing, you know, that really emerged from the 2008 financial crisis is the growth of single family rental, right? You have a lot of these institutions coming in and buying up uh, homes, right? So they're buying up homes and, you know, they're buying up these single family homes that aren't necessarily in a community together. They're, you know, they're scattered all over the place um, and they need to be maintained. So there's a lot of different companies that are trying to serve the SFR uh, vertical. Um, and that's for maintenance requests. That's for uh, turns, meaning when someone moves out, the, the, the unit has to be cleaned and painted and, and things of that nature. Um, if so, We have actually a company that does the lawn care and maintenance called TaskEasy uh, for, for SFRs. So I think a lot of that um, outsourced piece is coming from the single family rental vertical, which is 
growing very, very quickly and actually putting a lot of pressure on housing prices as well, because you also have, you know, have individuals who want homes and then you have institutions who come up, pay all cash for these, all these homes. Is that the same thing that happened 13, 13 to 15 years ago? Yeah, that's the, I mean, the, the single family rental market from an institutional perspective. I mean, obviously there's always been mom and pops where, you know, you have a friend who owns a few houses and he rents them out and, you know, takes care of them. We call that kind of the mom and pop SFR. But what really emerged post-2008 was the institutional SFR. So the institutional FSR, um, where whether that's Invitation Homes, which is a public company, or whether that is, you know, Blackstone, um, they all have huge divisions that are buying up single family homes to rent them out. So they basically need enterprise solutions to maintain it's everything from mow the lawn to set up the trash. You yeah. know, it's uh, and and I got to tell you, I, I said I'm not a real estate guy. That was partially true. I mean, I haven't owned a rental home in 15 years, but I owned them on the good side of the bubble. So who <laughs> um, whatever the, the sales gods or the entrepreneur gods, thank you for letting me be on the good side of that. But, but, but I did learn one thing. It's it, what if you had owned 20 of those and you had to, you had to field maintenance requests, right? Because. Well, I did. I owned three. Oh, you and I had three. to deal with yeah. it. My, yeah. Just, yeah. And I had to deal with it, you know, with that. And the one thing is I'll tell you, if you don't give renters an easy access to fix stuff, they never will. Um, yeah. That's how you show up and you're like, wow, everything here is broken. Um, <laughs> I, I was on, I was on a really good side of that. And, you know, so overall, when it comes to to T R I M M trim, uh, that's all in one unit turnover and property operations could be mobile platforms connected to a singular back office platform that allows teams to tackle mobile inspections, vendor engagement, procurement, work orders, approvals, preventative maintenance, alerts, escalations, and other stuff. And yeah, I guess if you think about that coming in on an enterprise basis and they're in scattered areas, then yeah. There's yeah, I mean, a, and there's even, a, a, these even apply to like other things. So like, let's say you have a, what we call garden style units in multifamily rental. So it is it is a community, but they're each sort of individual townhomes or units that are sort of, you know, or, or more in a garden style, as it's called. Um, they each have individual HVAC units, right? Uh, HVAC is one of the most expensive things to break in the home. Uh, you know, right now, a lot of people are putting... Uh, companies are looking at putting monitoring devices on that for that preventative maintenance that you you mentioned because if you can change out the the fan belt before it breaks or whatever is you can extend the life of those units so it's an, another thing that people are doing in the preventative ma- maintenance front forefront. Yeah, I recently saw a company that was like a home concierge that uh, that they they were in the business of hey Liza it's time to change your air filter. It's yeah. time to do this. It's time to do that. And it's kind of funny because at first I was like, well, why would I need that? Because I do that stuff myself. And then I thought about the last time I changed my air filter. We actually have which, a couple of modern companies focused yeah. on that. So I mentioned Task Easy, which is the lawn maintenance and snow removal company. Also adding pools into that mix. Um, we have another company called Super, which is a home warranty company. Are you familiar with home warranties? Yeah, so home, yeah sure. Home warranties are more popular very, not, not necessarily in New York, but like California, Texas. Um, a lot of people, when they sell a home, it's the expectation that a home warranty is included where, where your home insurance ends, your home warranty sort of starts. So it's for all the mechanicals of your home. So your fridge, your dishwasher, your HVAC. And we have a company called Super that is sort of revolutionizing that industry. It's a very uh, stodgy old industry where if 
you know, you have a complaint with your, you know, you have an issue at your home, you call your home warranty company, you wait on the phone for an hour or two, a couple of weeks later, a guy shows up, you never know when, and maybe it sticks, maybe it's not. And they might even deny you service to say, when you bought this house, it was already broken, right? There's all these, uh, these other things around it. So Super is a home warranty company, which is really looking to change how home warranties work. It's an app-based uh, thing. Um, it's an app-based program where um, you can push a button, tell tell them something's uh, broken, and they'll send out a uh, a contractor within a, a day or two, and you actually even know exactly when that contractor is going to show up, and you can rate that contractor. Um, and they actually just raised fifty million dollars from Wells Fargo to expand uh, more nationally. So that what you just described sounds really straightforward. Now I'll tell you, as the founder of Gigabook, and that's a scheduling platform, you use it to schedule the, the, to be on the show. Um, that's actually remarkably complex to yeah. do because you there's and I, I always like to kind of break this down when and where I can. So what you just described would invariably require some kind of geolocation. Mm-hmm. because you don't necessarily have service providers who knows where everywhere all the time. There might be one day a month when someone's in that zip code. So you got to geolocate it. You usually have to sync with a bunch of different calendars in order to make that happen. There's different systems, stuff like that. You have to have, you have to take in, into consideration things like buffers and drive times, because a lot of times those people get to where they need to be. And then they're like, Oh, wow. So I need more time than what I've got here. And there's a whole lot. It becomes it becomes exponentially difficult to coordinate all that. You usually have an invoicing aspect. You've got all different kinds of stuff. You mentioned like ratings and just all of it. Next thing you know, it is not easy. So building yeah, software is, is hard. I think a that's very yeah. operationally intensive business. And yeah. uh, when I met the CEO, uh, his name is Drury Rammer. I said, if any guy could do it, this guy can, because it's it's really, really tough business. Um, but he, they're doing a phenomenal job in terms of delivering on what they say through, you know, a huge investment in tech. Yeah. And that's, but that's still time arbitrage in many ways. You talk about like, well, just picture it. Right? You yeah. yeah. Well, you picture a square and that's what I was going to say is, you know, you go from top to the side, go one, two, three, four. You don't want to go from one to three from, you know, and back to one and then down to four and then over to two. And like you end up as a business owner, that's time arbitrage because you're still paying the people to drive around. And then you also have things like dead time in the middle. And I've seen even some some interesting uh, startups that work with scheduling platforms similar to Gigabook or other stuff out there to try to help you fill those spots. Yeah. Like if you can generate some kind of money or revenue in the middle, you're in pretty good shape. So now before we move into the second half of our conversation today, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably and helping you figure out all the complex stuff that you might not know how to do. All right. So let's talk about, about IOT stuff yeah. for a second. So you, there's just a whole world burgeoning of, of smart locks, access control, accountability. Uh, some of that was really, really needed. Like we had people reaching out to Gigabook in droves uh, when the pandemic first hit, wanting to do like uh, capacity management and stuff like that. And like, you know, a lot of it's about who are we going to let in, who are we going to let out and not have to be there to turn the key. Um, I mean, is that still a, a major, major 
uh, area for growth, just for, not only for yeah, products, but for the tech that supports it? There's so many aspects of that. Um, you know, in, in the multifamily space, there's been um, a lot in terms of digital locks and, and, and provisioning people's entry into places like gyms at certain times, how many people are in the gym. Um, so, so kind of that entry piece of it, which is, which is really important. Um, you know, an, another piece of sort of the whole, you know, IOT paces is, is monitoring. So, you know, if you want to know in an empty apartment building, when the toilet overruns and causes a, before it causes a flood in the person below you, um, you can, uh, there's certainly IOT devices that, uh, you know, sense moisture, uh, at this point that a lot of multifamilies are deploying in, in vacant units. Um, the issue with that, of course, is you have to have building Wi-Fi uh, to make sure that you can pick up on that. So there's, there are some infrastructure things that need to be done. Um, as we mentioned earlier, you know, HVACs, you know, putting IoT devices on them, you know, to monitor how much it's shaking or whatever it might be uh, to see if it needs some preventative maintenance. Um, this is also happening uh, in commercial buildings. So the, 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 the engines that run commercial buildings in terms of the elevators and the HVACs and all, all those types of things um, are being monitored, you know, not only for preventative maintenance, but also for energy usage, which is obviously another thing we haven't talked about, uh, which is obviously the, the entire sort of ESG trend um, is, is very important uh, to commercial landlords. And how can they, you know, why are they why do they have heat on in rooms that people aren't in? <laughs> right. There's there's a lot of different things that you can do um, to minimize your energy consumption. Um, we even is that is that a problem that AI and machine learning are probably bound to solve for a lot of these things? Learning yeah. and and you know IoT devices to monitor you know what's actually happening. Yeah, and that's I mean that seems to me like even even like my Nest thermostat. Um, although I will say it's usually not right. I threw it for a curve. <laughs> it was like, hey, dude, you were here like you never left for like a year and a half, and now you're leaving. What do I do? So yeah, I just had to, I was freezing. I'm here in my home office and we have a new, we have a new office. We started going to two days a week, but now I'm trying to figure out how to not waste energy there. So that's a whole nother problem that who knows. Okay. So still on my list of things that we're going to go into like, all right. So obviously everyone seems to be obsessed with blockchain and crypto and stuff like that. What role does that have to What What's the future for uh, real estate investments and just real estate in general when it comes to anything related to blockchain, if there is any? Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I think um, there's always been a lot of talk about, you know, making this huge asset class of real estate to tokenized, right? So it can be traded, right? Um, and that's something, you know, a certainly... Um, a lot of uh, different companies are are tackling. Um, you know, I think in the in the in the the idea of blockchain, you know, obviously it would be used in the tokenization. Another, there are other applications that people have thought of in real estate to use the blockchain for. You know, one thing that makes perfect sense to me, which hasn't been perfected yet, is title insurance. Right, title insurance is essentially a chain of ownership of who owns that property. Um, wouldn't that be perfect on the blockchain <laughs> as opposed to having to to pay, you know, two, three, four thousand dollars for your title insurance? Everyone's wondering why the hell you have to pay so much money for it. Um, so, I mean, I think there are other applications, you know, document management uh, in terms of the blockchain in real estate is something that people have talked about as well. So I'm not sure there's been, you know, a killer app yet uh, in terms of, you know, real estate and, and blockchain, but I, I think there will be. 
it's a kind of an interesting story about why that would be necessary. So we earlier we had referred to the you know the the housing bubble, our financial crisis, and I had a buddy who got caught on the bad side of it, and he called me looking for some advice. And my my father's an, was an attorney, practicing an attorney at the time, and. I called him up. I said, "What can I? What can I tell this guy?" He said, "Go back and tell him to find. Tell him to call the the lending people that are wanting to foreclose on him." And said, "Show me the contract I signed." And they couldn't. They couldn't because so many things were just yeah. flying in ten in a hundred different directions. And in two thousand eight, as modern as we felt we were, we weren't. So, show me the signature. And uh, they couldn't. Because some of those places you talk about the the bubble, you know that bubble actually bursting. <laughs> I mean, some of them were like they were there, and then they weren't. So yeah, and that actually good I mean, for him. Yeah, not I mean, great for someone else. But but an immutable ledger would have solved that. Problem immutable ledger would have solved that would, now. Yeah. You know, yeah. can I tell you everything is you know much better now? I mean, listen, my partner originally invested in DocuSign in like two thousand and eight, and we still. You know, all residential real estate track, uh, uh, transactions, a lot of them use DocuSign. A lot of them don't, right? I mean, there is actually some technology to track this sort of stuff. People simply don't use it. Um, you know, the idea is that everyone goes into a real estate closing with your lawyer, their lawyer. It still happens most of the time. Yeah, I was thinking smart contracts are probably the the place that yeah. has like, I mean, mega growth. And, you know, that's what's driving a lot of like, you see Ethereum and different things of which smart contracts are typically built upon kind of growing. And I don't know, man, it's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful world when it comes to the possibilities that could come out. You know, one of the things we we've talked about so many times on the show is is just asking the reasonable question of like, uh, you know, where where are startups going? What is, are, have, has everyone done everything? And the answer is certainly not. No. There is a hell of a lot of improvement. And by the time this comes out, this will be old news. I was watching 60 Minutes last night and they did a whole thing on our, why our supply chains broken. And. Uh, you know, I'm curious if the supply chain management stuff and all the logistics things, if you think that is uh, the inability to have that operate properly, does that create even more of a need for real estate tech or does it hobble it or like, because well, if you're talking about you- building stuff, you're building stuff, you're waiting three and four months for a window. <laughs> you can't finish selling the house until it has a window in it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of insane. Yeah, I mean, we have, um, well, well, certainly, listen, anyone who's redone their kitchen or uh, their bathroom during the pandemic has felt these supply chain issues, you know, both from a price and availability perspective, uh, where, you know, the prices are skyrocketing uh, for all these basic materials, even and if you can even get them, right? So the refrigerator takes six months, the stove takes six months, all these type of things. Um, you know, I, I we actually were thinking about you know the housing crisis really in a in a more revolutionary way at Modern. Uh, we have a company called Icon, which is actually three D printing homes on site. Mm-hmm. So think of a giant three D printer, um, and think about um, cement coming out of a three D printer that almost looks like kind of like a Mister Softy ice cream cone <laughs> in terms yeah. of how it's built, um, and the company. Uh, is actually, um, you know, has built homes in, in Mexico, um, is now building 100 homes in Texas with Lennar um, that are going to be, you know, sold at market rates. Um, and, you know, this, they can actually print a home in just a few days. 
We may have had them on the podcast. Is that the same company that net was on a Netflix special at one point or they, uh, Apple they're, they're, TV or something like that? Yeah, or? no, I can't, they've had some stuff on that as well. They're also doing stuff for uh, NASA as well, as well as the DOD. Yeah. Where they, can, they can build um, barracks for, for soldiers, you know, very, very quickly. Yeah. They can build, build temporary um, blinds and things of that nature. So company just raised about $200 million. So it has been in the news a lot. Not sure if that was them or not. It may have been, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, you know, just the ability, well, time arbitrage on that one. I mean, there's a lot of, a, a lot of stuff that needs to be automated. Okay. So, you know, we talk for those of you listening, I, I was just sitting here thinking, I'm like, this show is a treasure trove of great ideas for entrepreneurs to figure out how to solve. I mean, it really kind of has been. I mean, there's so many uh, different things that, you know, I, if you look at if you look at the rising, I, I know I mentioned the 6% realtor uh, right. fee, which I which I question. I don't think anybody that's ever sold a home is like, you know what? I love this. Like, <laughs> I think it should be. I think it should be higher. Um, I mean, if you think about the amount of, of, of revenue or potential capital there is out there just created from that. I mean, well, it's I mean Matt, I'll, 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 I'll give you a little bit of a counter to that. Um, you know, discount brokerages, you know, have been around for 15, 20 years. Um, you know, the percent of people who use a, a real estate agent to buy or sell their home has been relatively steady during that period of time in the high 80s. Yeah. Fundamentally, I mean, I think you know, it is the biggest purchase and, and sale of most people's lives and to have that, not have the, that human contact there to guide them. I think it has, has been difficult not to say there's not pressure on it. So the pressure is mostly been felt by these institutional eye buyers, the open doors, formerly Zillow, um, people like this who will do all cash offers for homes, which do cut out the real estate agent. Maybe we should talk about that for a second because we like talking about failure on this show too. <laughs> so Zillow was, uh, it'll yeah. be kind of older news at this point, but I didn't even realize Zillow was buying and basically flipping houses. And I would, I, and I don't uh, know too much about it, but I do know that they gave up on it and they said no more and, and basically dumped about 7,000 houses to decide to get out of that. So in some cases, you know, there's, you look at, you would think Zillow would or could be pretty good at that. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're familiar with that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, Where did that go wrong? I mean, you know, don't know exactly, but you know, they were essentially using an algorithm to bid on homes and with the home prices right. changing so rapidly, either, you know, accelerating at one rate as opposed it. to another, yeah. they just got caught. And I, you know, I fundamentally think that it's not like this model doesn't work. You know, there is, there are other I buyers out there that, that it is, is working for, but you have to remember their margin for error on this is very low. So the difference between what the market prices of the house and what they buy it for is generally five to 8%. So if you're wrong, you know, or yeah. the market oh, turns yeah. on you while you're holding that property, um, a profit can very quickly go to a very large loss. Yeah. And I would, like you said, some of this stuff, I mean, you break models and right. uh, it's been, it's been a nutty year. I was, you know, mentioning the logistics thing, you know, one of the, uh, we have a, a video version of Startup Hustle. If you haven't checked it out, just go to YouTube and type in Startup Hustle. But one of our cast members is a, um, a YouTube star named Eric Perkins who builds homes. And uh, he's had uh, he's had footage and comments in there. He's like, you know, you can't you can't finish closing the home 
until the home's done being built. And that literally means if you have to wait three months for like two windows to come in, you're not done. And it, it slows things down. And we've had quite a few people talk about that side of it. And then also just goofy stuff like the window company wouldn't ship all the windows because they were missing like a couple like clasps. Yeah. Like not even the window, like a, just a small piece of hardware, but it didn't trigger to send it. And yeah, if you're, if you're that, trying to fix that you, problem, people fix that problem. If you're trying to do a flip uh, and time is of the essence, because every month that you hold it, you have your carrying costs, right? Where you're, you're having oh, yeah. to pay the, the mortgage or you're financing on that project. Um, you know, six month delays for window can, can really eat into your profits. Okay, so you know we've talked about a lot of stuff. We raced through a, a, a pretty uh, give our production team uh, a big thumbs up for coming up with a, a nice list of quality stuff. I mean, some of the things we didn't talk about were things like virtual tours, automated data entry. Um, you know, we've had a, a partner here on the show, the a Lending Standard, and go to LendingStandard.com that created a whole marketplace trying to help people get loans for multifamily. And, uh, I, you know, there was like so much technology around commercial and also single family. And then there was like a whole segment in the middle that was absorbed. And as I got to talk to their founder, I didn't realize that there was so much time, effort and energy that went into just closing a single transaction. Um, you know, when we talk about trends, what, you know, obviously with 20% of the U.S. GDP it, it being real estate, why does it? Why do you think it feels like on so many days that it's a it's a uh, it's a segment that's lagging? You know, you have like so many things that are just become remarkably cutting edge and and innovative, and then some of this stuff you're like, wow, how do we not solve that yet? Yeah, I mean, there's just so many aspects. I mean, even if we stick to the home buying process, you know, appraisals, insurance that are all sort of in the dark ages, right? So I think there, yeah. you're going to continue to see you know a, a lot of innovation there. You know, fundamentally, real estate industry has been a very profitable industry, right? And fundamentally, they haven't necessarily had to change. I mean, I think when you have these seismic events that happen, like an Airbnb, like a WeWork, where people are realizing that they're losing the tenant-landlord uh, relationship and, and, and succeeding that to WeWork, do you really want to do that? I mean, I think there's a lot of different elements that are that happened and they're making the, the industry move, you know, the multifamily industry, but seeing what the effects of COVID were and how could they take let more people, you know, out of the process. So I think, you know, the good news for me as a real estate tech investor is we still see a lot of greenfield uh, in terms of, um, you know, things to invest in. There's no shortage of things to modernize and innovate on in the real estate industry. And let's let's talk about that for a second too. And, and go to Modern Ventures. It's modern. Put an e after it. Ventures.com. The easiest thing is to go down to the show notes and click that link, and it'll take you right to it. So you mentioned being an early stage investor. How early? Good question. So we um, we do not generally invest in pre revenue seed companies. Here, here's fundamentally why. Uh, we generally want to have a company that we can present to our large LPs and partners. Um, if they don't have a product yet, if they don't have product market fit yet, they haven't sold to some smaller parties before that. It's probably a little bit early for us. That being said, we have an accelerator program called the Passport Program, where we do take earlier companies that are under our threshold. It's about $2 million of revenue that we like to see. Um, we take them, we help them accelerate their sales within uh, the re uh, 
the real estate vertical, and then hopefully we get them into the box where we can kind of invest later. So that's another program that we run uh, for companies that may be too early for our investment thesis. Can uh, can anyone listening find that from the Modern Ventures yeah, website? Yeah, so if you go on uh, the Modern Ventures website, um, we're actually going to be opening up passport applications probably in late December, January. If you have a great real estate tech idea, um, you probably need to have a customer or two already. But uh, if you do, we'd love to hear from you and, and you can fill out an application. I see it right here, the Modern Passport Program. Yeah. And uh, for those of you listening, that's now. <laughs> so she mentioned December, January. That's now. It's so now. That is now. That is now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Currently taking applications for the modern passport. And, and I can tell there you, you that um, that's so time can... arbitrage in its finest, Liza. There, there you go. There you go. There's a uh, <laughs> past participants in this have cl- included Hippo, which just spacked Better Mortgage. Uh, you know, I got, you know, uh, uh, other companies that have been super successful. So we've had some really great success come out of the program. So while, while we're here and preparing for our landing, our, you know, you guys have, there's a whole lot of, uh, of uh, portfolio companies on your website. What are some of the ones that you're, that, and I know you're excited about all of them. They're equally, we're, they're right? all my Much children. Like everyone loves children. their children equally, right? <laughs> Okay. I, I have no ugly ones. Um, there's no way. There's no way that was true at my house. My sister was the favorite kid out of <laughs> both of us, and it's best to just acknowledge that and be honest. But what? What are some? What are? Who are a few? Well, and how would get, I do once again, well? I'll, I'll tell you my newest investment because that's something that sure. you can't, can't okay. be argued with. So, um, like you know, one of the things that is going to be a hot topic coming up is the um, EV charge. EV uh, cars taking over in terms of the percent they are of the, the cars in the U.S. I mean, today it's like 3% or so, but by 2025, about 20% of cars are going to be EV based. Uh, in the whole U.S., in terms of all commercial par- parking, whether that's rental buildings or, um, you know, commercial buildings, only about a half percent of those spots have an EV charger on them. Half percent. So obviously there's going to need to be a lot more EV chargers uh, put out there by landlords, uh, by commercial uh, real estate holders, because people aren't going to come to your building if they can't charge their car, right? That's going to be a fundamental problem. So we just invested in a company called Zeal, which solves some of the problems around EV chargers. Most EV chargers, you need to actually have a Wi-Fi uh, or a cell phone connection. Well, guess what? If you're in a subterranean garage, there is no Wi-Fi and there is no um, you know, cell signal, unless you do a very expensive, you know, wiring of that subterranean garage. Zeal actually uses the near, near field communication on your phone uh, to tap the charger so that you can uh, unlock the charger. You can pay for your uh, charge and uh, you can you can leave that a Wi-Fi connection or um, a cell signal. Um, so this is going to make it much, much cheaper to install EV chargers. And uh, we're really excited about it. And that's Zeal, that's X-E-A-L energy.com. Yes, yes. I'm checking out their site. That's cool stuff. That's uh, um, probably spills over into commercial real yeah. estate as well. That's one of the things that's, you know, I mentioned we just moved Startup Hustle and Full Scale to a new office and uh, the infrastructure in the air, to, be, to put it kindly, the infrastructure in the area we moved into needs some upgrade. <laughs> um, and that's part of why we're there to try to help spark a little something that's going on down there. But yeah, the fact that I, you know, I, uh, I have one vehicle that's kind of happy. It's a, it's a 
you know, it's a hybrid and yeah. just doesn't have a big range. And I'd love to be able to charge it when I was down there and do something. I mean, I'd pay for it. I'm not asking for a free hookup or anything. Yeah. So. I mean, listen, the, and, and from a landlord perspective, a lot of the EV charges are, that are More out there appeal. are old and don't yeah. have, you know, the, the ability to charge, but they should charge for it. It is your, you know, it is, it is, you know, it is, it is the electricity you're taking. So we, Zeal also gives them the ability to, you know, set rates and charge. Yep. So with that, we are about out of time here, Liza. And for those of you that listen to my shows regularly, you know, I like to end with the Founders Freestyle. I say my shows, it's because I am not the only host of Startup Hustle. Before I talk a little bit about that, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So I'm not the only host. If you listen regularly, you know that. Make sure to tune in weekly and join Lauren Conaway, the founder and CEO of InnovateHer. Go to InnovateHerKC.org if you want to learn more about what they do. And then also join Andrew Morgan's to talk all about e-commerce and Amazon, weekly spots there. And if that's not enough, I uh, hope you're enjoying our guest host series that we've been doing. Liza, we have been bringing in people that are experts and letting them bring guests to the show because we just like to talk about all things entrepreneurship and we don't know it all. Now, I said I end my episodes with the Founders Freestyle. Now, I will ask for, and you can say whatever you want here, but... Usually we go with with a few things related to what stood out from today's show and then hopefully a little bit of advice for founders that just want to be better or do more. So you're looking for me to give you advice on what founders should do better. Is that what you were asking? They, the listeners, maybe. Well, listeners. And that's up to oh, you. Okay. I mean, I even had one guy rap. Like literally freestyle. I mean, it is a freestyle. You can say whatever you want. I like to give people some guidance on that. So maybe they decide, but it's your freestyle, Liza. Yeah, you, you know, you, let, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll give, here, here's, my, here's my advice. If you're writing a VC in email, um, don't just write an email that says, here, look at my deck. Have a paragraph or two that actually explains what you do so we can screen it. That would be my two cents for today. You know what? I'm going to second that motion because no, <laughs> oh man, quoting myself, no one wants to read your 50 page document. It's that simple. Go. I tell people that all the time. I actually told someone that earlier today. If you can't put it on the front of a piece of paper, it's too much for the first intro. That's, that's for later. You know, overall, I think for me, the, I think the big takeaway I've got from this episode is, man, there is a lot of disruption and a lot of opportunity in a massive worldwide total addressable market for so many different things that we talked about. I mean, I think that there's, it's easy to look at the world of startups and be like, oh man, everybody's done everything. And, you know, am I going to be 10th to the party? Uh, no, no. Uh, pick something, get real good at it and see what happens. I mean, really in the end, that's kind of what entrepreneurship's all about. But I mean, just based on today's show, there's, I mean, we dropped eight or nine different areas or segments that are ripe for growth and all of it. So get to work, people get to work. And with that, Liza and I are going to get back to work. So we'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.